0: I remember what Fred told me when I first started this little church here in his establishment. He was so gracious to me and let me use this building for several months. And he, he, just, uh, he didn't charge me anything, you know. Of course, I didn't have no money back in those days either. So, you know, I had a little, but not much. But I've never been without money. You know, God's always provided for me extremely well. So when I say I've not had money, I have had money, you know. But uh, anyway, Fred was gracious, didn't charge me anything. And when I started this, and it just changed his life, I mean, From the day I met Fred, I mean, his life totally changed. And then he wanted, of course, I didn't have very many teachings, but I gave him what I had. And then when I started the church, he said, Now, Thurman, you can't give away this stuff when you start a church. I said, Why not? I said, I've been giving away all the time before. He said, Yeah, but, you know, you were working, you had a job, you were an engineer, and and you'd give somebody a tape here and some there or a video here. And, you know, but he said, If you start a church and put it back there, they're going to come take this stuff, and they're going to go away with it. And he says, uh, you know, you you won't be able to pay for all that. I said, Fred, if what I'm doing is God, if it's God, He'll pay my bills. If it's not God, then I might as well hang up my shingle right now. So I said, you know, if what I'm doing is God, God will take care of the ministry. And so we started giving them away. And they started hauling them out. Fred would watch people, you know, (laughs) Herman. These people are taking this stuff out by the sackfuls. I said, praise God. I hope they give them away. I hope somebody gets some good out of them. You know, and lo and behold, never, not one time, never have we ever been in the red. Now, I will say one time I went out to, yeah, God's good. I went out to, uh, uh, just, God put me to the test a few times. Don't get me wrong. Uh, one uh, time a lady called me. She'd, her and her husband had come to a healing school, and they were Southern Baptists, and they went to a Baptist church out in the Midwest, and uh, they heard that there was a guy teaching a healing school in a Baptist church in the Dallas area, Fort Worth area. And she said, a healing school in a Baptist church? i never heard of such a thing. So she said, we will go because she had migraine headaches, she had lung cancer, and she had arthritis in both knees, and she could barely walk, and she's only about 45 years old. That's not exactly what a 45-year-old woman wants to be like. So anyway. She had tried everything the medical world had, and nothing worked. So her and her husband came to a healing school. They listened to four hours of teaching, loaded up on tapes, and went home and listened to them for 30 days, and came back to the next healing school. And after four more hours of teaching, she said, I'm ready to be healed. I have heard enough. He said, my daddy was a Baptist preacher. My granddaddy was a Baptist preacher. But none of them preached what you preach. And so she said, now it's in my book. And so she said, I believe it, so I'm going to be healed today, and you pray for me. So that's the kind of faith God's looking for. Amen. So I reached up and touched this little lady, and she was healed of everything. Amen. I mean, I mean, see, but when the Lord says, hold fast to your confession, Amen. this is where the devil gets us. I told her, I said, now, the devil's had you with a migraine headaches for all these years. Now he's put lung cancer on you, and now then, I said, the, the arthritis you've had in your knees, you've had it for several years. I said, now that you've repented of ever sin, and I cast out all them demons, and you are healed. She said, man, I know I'm healed because I feel so good. I said, ma'am, you just sinned? You need to repent. And she backed off and said, what do you mean I sinned? I said, there's not anywhere in the Word of God that says you're healed because you feel like you're healed. I said, if you go by feeling, I said, the devil will come back upon you. And when he comes back upon you, you'll say, oh, my goodness, I thought I was healed. But I feel so bad, I guess I didn't get anything. And I said, you have just lost your healing. You are not holding fast to your healing. I said, the devil don't play games. I said, you have to hold fast to the confession of the Word of God if you want to stay healed. And she said, well, I didn't know it was that important. I said, see, that's why so many people that go to a crusade somewhere and got moved by the power of the Spirit, like a Benny Hinn crusade. People go there and people, multitudes of people get healed, but they don't know how to stand and hold fast, and so they lose it. Some of them lose it before they get home, and some of them lose it in a week, in a month, and some of them hold on to it, but some of them lose it. Most of them lose it, but... I said, I try to teach you how to stand on the Word. I said, ma'am, I have no idea what the devil may do to you tonight or next week or next month. But I can assure you he will come back for a counterattack. And she said, okay. I said, now when he comes back, he's going to put symptoms on you. He's either going to put the headache back, he's going to put shortness of breath, or your knees are going to start hurting again, or maybe all of them. And I said, when it does, you're going to have to say the Word says... I'm healed. The Word says, I have power over you, devil. The Word says, and you've got to hold fast that confession. I said, if you don't, and you let up one second, you're going to lose your healing, and the devil's going to be right back in where he left. So she said, Boy, I'm glad you taught me this. I didn't know this. So that night they go home. She's feeling like a million dollars. They go home that night, and about one or two in the morning, she wakes up, and she says, reached on to her husband and said, Honey, wake up. Something's wrong with my face. He said, There ain't nothing wrong with your face. You look perfect. She said, I feel something crawling under my skin. He said, Honey, there is nothing wrong with your face. She said, I don't know what it is, but it's not right in there. I can feel it. And all of a sudden, the whole side of her face turned blood red right before his very eyes. He panics. He wants to take her to the doctor. She says, this is what Thurman told us the devil was going to do to me. She said, I am healed. I am not yielding. Now, see if I hadn't taught her. I hadn't have taught her. She, she said, oh my gosh, I didn't have this, something new. But she's standing on the Word. They stood on the Word for hours. They quoted the Word. They rebuked the devil. She said he would leave here and come up over here. Then she said we would rebuke him and command him to leave. Sometimes it would take 20 or 30 minutes. This is what you call standing on your profession, your confession. And she said that devil would leave here and go down, and all of a sudden I'd feel him on top of one of my breasts. I said we'd rebuke him and drive him away, and then he'd come up over here on my back. All these big bloody red spots coming up all over her body. Well, she called me. A few weeks later and told me this thing, I thought she said they fought the battle for eight hours. And then it was over and the devil was gone. So I told it like that on several tapes. And then one day they were at a healing school and I said, oh, by the way, there's this couple back here and I've got to tell you their story. And I got up there and I said, and this is what happened. And I said, her and her husband, they fought this battle for eight hours before they overcome it and the devil left. She said, oh, no, Thurman, that's not true. I said, well, I thought that's what you told me. Oh, No. I said, well, come up here and tell me what I did wrong. So she come up here and she said, I didn't fight that battle with my husband for eight hours. We fought it for eight days and nights. Eight days and nights, that devil would come up on me in one place or another, and then he would leave for a little while, and then those blood red spots, which looked like they're just about to burst in the blood on my skin, would just come up. And she said, we knew that was the devil. So we just rebuked him and said, after eight days... He left, and he has never been back. That's been years ago. So, praise God. That little lady, that little lady invited me to come out. She was a manager of a rest home in a city in the West, Midwest. And come out there and teach her people in the rest home. You know, these were old people, you know. I mean, people from 60 up, you know. They were ancient. (laughs) my hat's off to the old people that have to be in a rest home at 60, you know, because they don't know the power of God, you know, that's just the way it is, you just don't know. I mean, unfortunately, that's where most elderly people live, they have no idea of the promises of God. I certainly didn't, but I finally got a hold of them, and now, praise God, it makes a lot of difference the way you do business. So anyway, she invited me out there, and so I went out there and took a gentleman with me. And we drove out there several hours, and we spoke in the little restroom. I took a bunch of equipment, a bunch of tapes and stuff, and, and cassettes. This is back in the days before I had CDs and DVDs. We went out there, and I taught that couple. In fact, when I walked in there, they, about 12 people showed up at this little meeting that day. And I asked the people, were they all Christians? And nearly all of them said they were. And then I asked them the question, do you believe the Word of God? And this one woman, she said, sir, I," I think she said, I am 65 years old. I was raised up in a Baptist church, and one thing I do, I believe every word in the Word of God. I said, well, probably today, before the day's over, I'm going to prove to you that you don't know the Word of God, and that statement does not mean what you said. You think you believe the Word. But I said, before this day's over, you will know you do not believe this book. So I taught them for four hours that afternoon, that little handful of people. And at the end of the day, that lady said, you know, she had tears in her eyes. She said, just a few years ago, my four-year-old grandson was in an accident. And when the doctors told us that he was going to die, I just yielded to it. I didn't stand on these promises. She said, you're right. I do not believe this book. She said, I had no idea these promises that were in here that you've quoted today were for me today. But she said, they are for me. She said, because I didn't know them and because I didn't believe them, she said, I lost my four-year-old grandson. I said, because I did know them and did believe them, my three-year-old granddaughter didn't lose her life. She's alive and well today. And, you know, I think about the woman up at Lakeland when I was up there that when her son fell in a drainage ditch And he almost drowned. And they finally got him up to the Louisville Hospital, and the doctors were telling them that he did drown. And she's screaming to God, Please, God, just let him live. That's a wrong confession. That's not what you want. And God heard her prayer and honored it and just let him live. It was a vegetable. It cost the family some tremendous turmoil in the next few years. It separated the husband. He became an alcoholic over this. And it caused a divorce in the family. And then I remembered the woman standing up again several years later and saying with a testimony, I stood up here years ago when my son had drowned and pleaded and asked God just to let him live. But she said, now I realize I was wrong. I should have said, Lord, bring him on home. But see, still she has the wrong confession. She has no idea of the power of God. Two times she stands before a group of people. The first time she makes the wrong confession. The second time she makes the wrong confession. And both times she doesn't know she's wrong. Why? Because she has not spent much time reading and studying God's Word. And when you read it and study it, you know that when you walk into that hospital with that child, hey, if you're walking in obedience to the Word, you've got it hidden in your heart. The king says, ask me anything and I'll do it. Do you think he means that? Yeah, yeah. Sure he does. Yeah. But that's all based around your obedience. Why is it so few Christians today get these kind of prayers answered? Because so few Christians read and study God's Word. You know, a period a while ago, the very first song we sang, anybody remember what the very first song was? Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And he will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my strength, and Him will I trust. And if you do those two things, if you do those two things, and I'm completely convinced that we today don't know what it means to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I was talking to Ernest a while ago, and and his lovely wife sitting there beside him. And we were talking. I said, Ernest, if every day or every minute you dwell with that lovely wife yours, they've been married 50 years. And she was miraculously healed right here just a few months Damn. ago. And she'd had a problem 15 years. 15 years. She came over here. We prayed over her. And God healed her. And they brought their granddaughter oh, yeah. over here a few months before that and with a breast cancer and brought her over here. And we prayed over her. And God healed her too. Damn. And so that's why the, uh, Ernest and his wife... Could come Esther, she could come up and say, I want to be healed too. I saw my granddaughter healed. So, but anyway, I told him, I said, every minute you dwell with her, every minute you spend with her, you're dwelling with her. I said, when you're not with her, you're not dwelling with her. And they understand that. So they've dwelled together pretty good for 50 years. See? So praise God. You know, a man and a woman don't last 50 years together if they don't dwell with each other. You know, it don't happen. And that's what's wrong with the young people today. We get married and we don't dwell with each other. We don't spend time with each other. We spend time in the world and that's when the devil gets us. You know, so you, that's why so many marriages are falling apart. You don't dwell with your mates. You don't walk in love, do what God said. Well, God is no different. If you don't dwell with Him, I mean dwell with Him, then He will not do these mighty things for you. Now then, if you're dwelling with Him, let me give you a little bit of an idea of what can happen. This last week, of course, I had ministry appointments uh, many times during the week this last week. One of them, a man came out, we came to my office, and he and I was in the Word of God together. We were just loving Jesus. We were studying the Word, discussing things. He had been reading and studying and different things he'd come up with. He wanted my opinion on them. And he, we, want, we prayed together. We prayed, I mean, each other prayed. We prayed over Him. I mean, we prayed, and we we spent two and a half hours locked up in my office worshiping and praising the King. And I got the best job in the world. I love worshiping and praising the King. You couldn't have a better job than I got. You know, working for King Jesus There's not a better job in the world. Now, I will have to say, Years ago, when I used to fly big D.C. Eight airplanes all over the world, I kind of enjoyed that too. But I was always talking with whoever the other crew members was about Jesus. Boy, I had a, had a captive audience in that little cockpit. There's three in there. They couldn't get away. I had them 35 or 40,000 feet high, and they couldn't get away. You know, they can't say, I've heard all this I want. I'm going out and get a Coke. Hey, that first step for digging. But so you you don't have to worry about them. And we was in a cargo airplane most of the time, too. So I had a captive audience locked in. You know, there was no place you could go. I love talking to people about Jesus. But anyway, as you, as you dwell in that secret place, talk about Jesus all the time. I had just been doing that for two and a half hours. And this gentleman, we prayed and praised and thanked the Lord. And he got up and uh, went back and got him some more CDs and DVDs, I think. And he left. And I thought, you know, I need to run back in there in the ministry center where I'm adding some, built, some stuff I'm building back there. And I went back and I blowed some texture on in one wall. It wasn't dry yet. And I thought, I really need that to dry quicker. I'll run out in the shop and get me a fan. A big, big old fan on a stand. And I'll bring it in and put it in a room. I'll dry that a whole lot faster. It had rained that morning a half inch. And the rain off the roof had come in. And outside, as you step outside, I haven't finished the outside grounds. And that silt that I had pulled off where I'd done the concrete a few weeks before, it was sitting there right up against the door, and it got soaking wet, and I didn't realize it was soaking wet, and it was slick like glass. I mean, like ice. Well, you know, I'm in a hurry like I always am. I run up there, jerk the door open, and step out just about as high as I am right now, down onto the ground. When I step on the ground, I step into that silt-slick Stuff and guess what? Both feet did. Just like that. Both feet went straight forward. Now, let me tell you, there's an eight inch concrete step right behind me with a threshold on top of it. That's not exactly what I want to fall on with my back with no unrestraining fall. But this is fixing to happen to me. Now, what did God promise if I dwell in the secret place of the Most High? What's He going to do for me? He's going to protect me, didn't He? Did He not say in Psalm 91 that if you do all these things, I will send my angels and give them charge over you and you will not dash your foot against a stone? Did He say that? What was the requirement? If I dwell in the secret place of the Most High and I say the Lord is my strength, He is my refuge, in Him do I trust. And then that's all I've been doing all day. And I stepped out on that ground and I didn't look down, and both feet just went. Phew! I mean, just I mean, 90 miles an hour, just just like you stepped on ice, and both feet went straight out. And I started down, and I throw this arm back. And when I do, I land right on that threshold with one arm, and in one heartbeat, I jerk this leg back up, put it on the ground, throw this one down, Robert, and I'm standing right back up, right in the doorway, and I don't even feel a pain, and I don't even have a bruise on my arm. Does it pay good dividends to serve the living God? I mean, do you know what the average sixty seven year old man that falls across the threshold like that, that was not being obedient to God's word, do you know who'd have come got him? Nine one one. You know that? Not only a sixty seven year old man, but a thirty seven year old man would have probably they'd have probably come got him. I'm gonna tell you when God says things in this book. He means what He says. If we will do what He said, if we will make Him the Most High God our dwelling place, He will protect us. And I'm going to read some scriptures in a minute to you to confirm these mighty things that one of the greatest men of God that ever walked on this earth, as far as God is concerned, the trials and tribulations He went through and how God protected Him and why He did it. So we're going to go to those scriptures in just a minute, but right now, I am sure somebody in here has got a great and awesome testimony you want to share with us what God did for you in the last week. There's a young lady right here. She is jumping at the bits. Stand up here and tell us what the Lord has done for you, young lady.
1: Well, I had about five or six things happen this week, but um, I had two really, really slow weeks in January in my business. I said, well, Lord, I've got things to pay for, and I just ask you if there'd be any way that you just send the money without it be related to the work because I'm willing to work this week, and I think this week will be pretty good so um ended up the long and the short of it is that um, my brother called me back, he didn't get to call me when he when I first called him, he called me back a couple of days later, and we talked for a little while, and I said, well, i'm planning on working hard, and I'm going to pay this child support, so that's right, you pay child support, and I says, see yeah, how much is it and I told him and, said, well, the good news is I only have four more months to pay it. And he says, well, let me just go ahead and take care of that for you. So he sent me a FedEx check, like, the next day for $1,600. So I was just praising God and thanking him. And my um, car insurance premium came, and I always look through it to see if they have everything right. And I called and, and asked him uh, when my car insurance was going to be going down. So I looked at that price and said, oh, this is not good. And uh, he said, well, I'll call you back. And uh, he called me back about 9 o'clock that night, and he says, are you sitting down? And I said, no, he's always joking with me. But, so I went in the massage room, and I sat down, and, and he said, well, it's gone down $600 in a year. And I said, "Will you f- check on my house insurance for me, And because uh, they're tied together. And he said, okay, and he says, um, call me tomorrow. So I did. He says, I had to go down and do the cancellation papers on the other one went down there, and the um, health insurance had gone down $200 a year. And uh, and so that was my... And then my my health insurance had gone up about $60, and I had to pay for Elijah his last year in high school for health insurance. had gone up about $60. And I said, how am I going to pay for that? That was when the insurance went down right a couple of days later. So I was just trusting God for all of that. And, uh, and then I prayed for... Um, I didn't even watch the weather forecast, but I've been praying for rain for years and had a little bit of practice about that. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I said, Lord, I don't care what the weather forecast is. I'm asking you for it to rain to, tonight. And so it started raining early in the morning, and, you know, we had this really wonderful rain. And so I was just thanking him and praising him for that. And then I had um, a foot cramp uh, the other night in... Uh, I asked the Lord, well, where did I open a door? So, yeah, I said, Lord, I, ask, I just repent of, of uh, eating too many cookies. I had like three <laughs> or four instead of two. And I said, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Instantly, that foot cramp went away.
0: Hey, Amen. <laughs> my- hey, praise the <laughs> Lord, Janet, That's great. Glory to God. We've got a gentleman back here. Praise the Lord. Come up here and tell us what God's done for you, sir. Praise the King. Glory. Janet had some great ones there, didn't she? Praise the Lord.
2: Well, since I have my friend with her, I'm going to tell her this. Uh, we were watching a, a DVD of yours about angels and how they must hearken to the God's Word. Yeah. This was happening about four weeks ago when they had all those fires in Texas, the, the, the fires. and Joyce calls us and said, Will you please pray for my sister's employment? They're, the fires are coming towards her employment and it's about, they're about 20 miles away. I said, Yes, we'll do that tonight. And... Uh, we went that night, and uh, I said, I get to actually use what I just heard. Amen. And uh, I quoted James where It says that Elijah was a man just like us. Amen. And when he prayed, he shut the reins. And when he prayed again, it rained. So I said, Lord, we're standing on this word that you will stop the winds, and then it will rain. And I ask that you send your angels to hearken to your word to go and do this. Amen. So uh, the next day we get a call from her, and she goes, well, give us the report. What happened? She goes, the fire stopped five miles from my sister's business. Okay. And we go, well, what happened? And she said, out of nowhere, the wind stopped, and they got control of the fire. And they come to find out it was the same time that we were praying for her. For Amen. Her so, Praise
0: God. the Lord, brother. Glory we God. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> it's amazing the wonderful things that God does. Now I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel, and verse chapter 22, Second Samuel 22. This is what we're going to talk about. I'm going to show you some things in here today. This is an awesome, this book is just an awesome book. You know, when you read all through this book, it seems like you read and study this book, and the more you read and study it, the more revelation God gives you. There's no end to what he does. It's amazing what he did for David here, I want to show you some of the things he did for David. Now, in t- chapter 22, and I'll just start at verse 2, and he said, The Lord is my rock, he's my fortress, and he's my deliverer. Is he saying anything right? Yes, sure, he's saying the right things. Then he says, The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior that saveth me from violence. If you want to see God do these kind of wonderful things that He's going to do for David, your confession needs to be the same. Your confession of your God needs to line up with the Word of God. Now, if you start saying these things, then He says in verse 4, I will call on the Lord... Who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. He is worthy to be praised. I'm telling you, when you go through a few of the trials and tests like I've been through in my life, I think about as I was, I was walking through the building praising the king. And there, both feet slipped out from under me. And I only can imagine what could have happened to me. And to think, I didn't even get a bruise. In fact, as soon as I stood up, I didn't even feel, I could not even feel where I had fell down on my elbow. You know, I know people that fell like that on their elbows and crushed both of them. And they never had any movement in their arms after that. I know people that have done that. Slip on ice and fall backward and jam their elbows in the ground and just crush them. You know? But just think, God says in His Word, If you will make me the Most High God your dwelling place, And you'll walk and you'll say, I, the Lord, is my strength. He is my refuge. In Him will I trust. He said, I will send my angels and give them charge over you. And what those angels will do, brother, is awesome, isn't it? It's awesome what they do. Those angels are sent for you and me. And as long as we'll be obedient to serve the Lord, you can call on those angels to help you. And they will do great and wonderful things for you. There's no doubt in my mind that one of those angels, my angel, was right with me. And when, a boat, when I stepped out of there, off of I stepped this high and stepped down, and both feet went 90 miles an hour, right straight ahead as I'm coming backwards. He just says, and he just let me down gently. My arm hit the threshold, but then he just—I mean, I was standing right back up. <laughs> was no pain or nothing. Amen. I thought, Lord, is, are you awesome. There was no doubt in my mind, Sharon, who who picked me up. Yeah. Sharon, you know, don't you? Ain't no doubt in our minds or our hearts who picks us up. It's the king because he's there. He's watching over his obedient children. Then he says, Look at verse 5. When the waves of death compass me. Woo! You think that devil ain't trying to get you? When the waves of death compass me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. David was even afraid at times. I mean, you know, whenever all these wicked people come about you, you know, it's kind of hard not to be afraid. But it says, The sorrows of hell compass me about. The snares of death prevented me. I mean, this guy's in trouble. That devil hasn't changed much, has he, brother? He's still after us. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Does the Lord promise to hear the cries of the righteous? Yes. But what if you're living wickedly? He said, I don't hear you. He said, if you're living wickedly, you're living in sin. He said, until you repent, I don't hear your prayers. So you better make sure that you walk holy in obedience to his word. Because let me tell you, you never know. Somebody said, well, that's okay. I can live just like I want to. And before I need him, I'll repent. That don't work, does it, brother? No, because I didn't have time to repent when I stepped on that slick stuff, did I? It would have been all over. I, ain't no way I could have said, Lord, I'll repent. I didn't have time to say, Lord, I'll repent. I mean, in one heartbeat, I was on the ground just like that. You know, have any of y'all ever slipped on ice or slick mud like that and fell? You know how quick you can be on the ground? I mean, here you are just solid as a rock thinking everything's okay, and the next instant, bam, you're on the ground. It can happen that quick, can't it? You can be killed just that quick. It's so easy to lose your life in one heartbeat. You can lose it. It says here, after he called upon the Lord, verse 8 said, Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was angry. Woo! God was wroth or angry with the enemy because the enemy was attacking one of his righteous sons. And he shook the heavens and the earth. I mean, if the king we serve is able to reach out there and just reach out and say, you devils of hell, you're attacking my righteous son, just shake the earth. You reckon that'd get anybody's attention? I'll tell you, Susan, that'd get anybody's attention. He can shake the earth. No problem. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was angry. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth. Devoured coals were kindled by it. Wow. You talk about awesome. How would you like to see that fire out of God's mouth? Smoke out of his nostrils? You know, that's, you know, David's supposedly seeing this. I, don't, I mean, I've, I've thought about ticking the king off. You know, what happens when we tick off the king? You know, I think about what, when he was a man, we ticked him off in the temple. I mean, you know, he picked up those ropes, made him some whips, and he walked through that place kicking them tables over and thrashing them people. He was hot. You don't want to make him hot. No, 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 no. I don't want to make him hot. He's God, and I'm a man, and I want to make him hot. No, 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 no. Forget that. I want him to be happy with me. I definitely don't want him to be angry, especially if whenever he gets angry, when he blows his nose, smoke comes out. I mean, this is what the word says, right? I mean, if smoke come out of his nose, out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth when he breathes, I don't want to make him mad. You know, not hardly. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's awesome. It's hard to see God in this light. But that's what David said he did. You know, so if David said this, obviously God had revealed this to him. And the Lord was a little bit angry because the enemies of David were trying to come against him. They were trying to encompass him. They are trying to kill him. They are going to try to drag him into hell. God said, no, 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 you ain't taking my boy down there. He's not done anything wrong. So God's a little bit hot there. And he says, there went up his smoke out of his nostrils. And then he says in verse 10, he bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. He's coming down to see what's going on. You know, when you sit here and read the Word, like it's, you have to stop and think, you know, God, did this really happen like this? If it's written, it happened like this. Don't try to explain it away. Don't try to, you know, justify these things. Just remember, if God put it in, He put it in for poor little guys, common, everyday man like me and you, and He didn't plan for the Word of God to be hard to understand. Just read it and believe it. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can imagine. So He says this in verse 11, And He rode upon a cherub and did fly. And he was seen upon the wings of the wind. This God we serve is beyond my comprehension. And he made darkness prevailance round about him. Dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him were coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning, and discomforted them. Can you imagine the lightning bolts falling? All of you are just like me. There is times that you have set out and watched lightning storms and it's just streaked lightning. In fact, one night, we were going from Chicago to Bangor, Maine in a DC-8. And to the north of us, about 50 to 100 miles, was a line of humongous thunderstorms that went to 50 to 60,000 feet high. And they were continuous from where we took off all the way, almost till we got all the way to Bangor, Maine. That line of thunderstorms was across there. And it was continuous lightning. I have never in my life seen that much lightning. But there was never a time from where we were in the clear blue sky that it was either streaking lightning here or over here or over here. But constantly, for two hours, I watched those lightning bolts come out of the clouds, from cloud to cloud, from cloud to ground. And I thought, oh, God, think of the power in that. And think, you're in control of all that. You know, it's kind of blows you away to think about the magnificence of God how he could take those lightning bolts like that wow but the most awesome thing was I remember one day talking about lightning we were flying up toward uh, we was going over northern Canada we was going up to uh, Anchorage Alaska and I saw for the first time these little streaks of fire inside the cockpit (laughs) You know, we're flying along up to, I've never seen this before. And I'm looking, and I look up, and I see these little things on the windshield, and they're inside. And they're just little streaks of lightning, little bitty streaks of lightning on the windshield. And I'm looking, and I think, is either one of these other guys in here with me see that? I mean, you don't want to say anything because you think... They may think, this guy's crazy. We're going to lock him up. When we get... And if if I'm seeing this, surely somebody else can see this. And I'm looking at these things, and I don't say a word. And nobody else says a word. <laughs> we're flying along, there and I think, you know, they're just kind of looking out, you know, every once in a while. It's at night, and we're way up there. It's a beautiful night, moon shining. And, of course, ice and snow down below us, Ain't nothing for miles of temperature down on the ground 40 below zero, and I thought, you know, if there's any place I wouldn't want to crash, it's up here, <laughs> you know, 40 below zero, here we are, 40, 41,000, I forget what we was flying, somewhere way up there, we weren't very heavy, and we're flying along, and I'm looking at all this, and I keep looking, and we fly along for 30 minutes, and I see these little streaks of fire over here, and then they're over here, and then they're up on the dash right up here, dancing around, and I thought, you know, If if if, I'm, if these guys are seeing it, one of them is going to say something in a minute. And in a little bit, one of them said, you know, aren't those cute little fires? I thought, you see them too? <laughs> he said, oh yeah, we see them all the time when we come up here. And I said, that's my first time. I was afraid to say something because I thought y'all weren't seeing those things. Oh yeah, he said, you get to see those all the time. But did you know when you, you think about God in His infinite mercy and power. He's the one that made all that. And here I am riding along in an airplane at 38, 40, 30, 40, whatever it was. I forget now how high we were flying. That has been so many years ago. This is quiet, smooth, not a bump in the sky, not a cloud, nowhere, you know, moon shining out there. And all you could see is white on the ground. As far as you could see, ice and snow. And here we are sitting up there, just like sitting right here in this room, quiet as a mouse, just three guys and all these little fires all in the windshield and all over the dash. You think, wow. I wonder if one of them must to get in the wrong place. Could it cause something to happen to the airplane? But obviously not. We saw them for an hour or two. And then they just went away. It's, I believe they call it the St. Elmo's Fire. That's what they call it. It's, it's, it's caused by friction. Well, the airplane and temperatures and everything causes those little streaks of fire to be generated inside the airplane. It's a common phenomenon. Many pilots that have flown that part of the world at night have seen those little fires. Have you ever seen those, Keith? Yeah, Keith said he's seen them too. He's a pilot also. But it's amazing when you sit there and look at those little streaks of fire. But you've got to think, who made that? God did. He made everything. And when you're His, when you belong to Him, and you're in that airplane, you can have no fear. Because you know you're His, and He's going to send His angels and give them charge over you and protect you. You know? I mean, I remember one time we were coming in to uh, an airport in, uh, let see, where was that exactly? It was in the Bangkok, Thailand. We had left Karachi, Pakistan. We were going to go to Bangkok, Thailand. And when we went to make the first approach, there was such a humongous thunderstorm over that area. I mean, it was lightning, storming, everything, and you could not see a thing. We got down to minimums and couldn't see nothing but sheets of water. So we made the go-around. You know, we're down to 100 feet, and we go around. And we're doing a full Category 2 back in those days, an approach. And we can't see not one single thing, nothing. So we pull up. The captain, he was a little excited. He said, let's go around. I can't see a thing. So we pushed the power up, and we went around. We flew out there just a few miles, and all of a sudden we flew right out of the side of that thing in wild, blue, clear sky. So we made an approach. We came back around. We made two approaches, and it was pitch black over that airport. You couldn't see a thing. I thought, you know, it's time to pray. Now, see, we've made two approaches before it's time to pray. You know, now, we've all been there and done that, haven't we, Keith? Yeah, we've all been there and done that. So I just said, it's time to pray. I said, Lord, please move that thunderstorm off to the side because we've got a load of people in here, and we don't want to crash, and we're getting a little low on fuel. You know, the wind was a whole lot stronger than we thought coming over there than it was supposed to be. And so we used a whole lot more fuel than we are supposed to. I said, Lord, we're getting a little old fuel. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, would you bl- move that thunderstorm past that airport? We made one more approach and landed in clear weather. The storm was completely gone. What can you do in prayer? Anything. If you're walking in obedience to God's Word, He will answer your prayer. we made two approaches in pitch black thunder. I mean, lightning, brain, gushing, you couldn't see a thing. And then after I prayed, the next time around was clear. Just like we landed, we, I, you could see the runway, not a problem. What happens when we pray in faith? God hears. He answers our prayer. Well, he's, doing, he's going to do the same thing for David here. He says here in verse 16, "...and the channels of the sea appeared, the foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord." At the blast of the breath of his nostrils. You talk about a mighty God, Benjamin. we got one. I don't want him to blow that breath on me, do you? No, not hardly. He sent, the, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. Is the devil too strong for you? Yes, he is. You. I mean, somebody said, I'm going to get the devil. Let me tell you, without Jesus, you are a pushover for the devil. That devil without the power of God in you, that devil you are no know, I mean, he, he is so much more powerful than you are, but when Jesus is in you, you got your big brother with you, you don't have nothing to fear. Yeah. Nothing. That devil, he has to be subject to you in the name of our King. But don't you try to go against him without the King. Because if you do, you're in trouble. Then he says, They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Why did he deliver him? He delighted in him. Reckon David done something right? Hey, if he delivered because he delighted in him, do you want God to be delighted with you? Well, I guarantee I do too. I don't want, When I call on him, I don't want him to say, who are you? I don't know you. You don't want that either, do you, Benjamin? When you call on the Lord, you want to say, oh, there's one of my sons down there. He's calling on me. I delight in what he does. It says, the Lord rewarded me. Oh, listen to this one. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Now, think about this. Now, I just got a great revelation from one of our men that goes to here. He also goes to Oral Roberts, and me and him discuss the Word of God quite often. And he asked one of his professors here a while back what it meant to be righteous. And his professor gave him an awesome answer. He said, righteousness means doing deeds of loving kindness. What is righteousness? Don't never forget that. Righteousness is doing deeds of loving kindness. So how are you righteous? When you're doing deeds of loving kindness. So if you're out doing deeds of loving kindness to people, doing good things for people, in the name of the Lord, you're doing righteousness. You're doing deeds of loving kindness. Now what if you're talking about everybody? What if you're telling lies about people? you're going to wind up in a hospital. That's what's going to happen to you. You know that? yeah. If you're telling stories about people, if you're talking evil about people, you're going to wind up in the hospital. You can't talk or accuse the brethren of things. You have to be... Boy, if there's anything I've learned, I have learned, if I'm not speaking the Word of God, then I need to put three layers of duct tape around my mouth. So I can't open it. Because if I say things that's not according to the word of God, I get in trouble. You have to be so careful, so careful with your mouth. Over the word of God, over in the New Covenant, He confirms that. First Peter three says to them that would have a long life and see good days. Do you want to have a long life, Jen? You want to see good days? You know what He says you got to do to do that? He said you must refrain your tongue from speaking evil about others. But Lord, I mean, it was the truth. He said, I don't care. You're out spreading gossip. You need to keep your mouth shut. And sometimes we're out spreading rumors about people in the church when we just heard it second hand. Or third or fourth hand. And by that time, I guarantee it's not true. What you heard is not true. I'll tell you what I could do today. I bet you I could stand ten people up in this aisle. One day we may do this. I'll stand ten people that will volunteer, and I'll tell the first one something, a simple little one-sentence phrase. Now, you can't ask me again. I'm going to get right up here. I'm going to whisper it in your ear, and you I want you to hear it, and then whether you hear it or not, you know, I'll speak it loud enough for you to hear. Then you're to take, you can't tell me, i say, I didn't get that last word. You've got to get it all the first time. Because I'm going to speak it right in your ear, then I want you to turn around to the next person line and speak to them exactly what I told you. And when it gets to the tenth person, we want them to tell us what the first person said. And you know what it'll be? Chances are, it'll be totally different. And see, that's what happens to us when we start gossiping about people. You know, I never forget the day that Wally came down here and gave me a prophecy. You know, Wally come down here, and he had a word for me that day. Right near the end of the service, he walked right up to me and said, The Lord told me to tell you this. Put his pen right out in my face and said, The Lord told me to tell you this. And he told me something was wonderful. I said, Praise God. Wally turned around and went back to his camera. A few weeks later, somebody said, I understand you're having all kinds of problems in your church. People are coming up and reading you the riot act right in front of your congregation. (laughs) I said, Oh, God. (laughs) Lord. What is going on? See, somebody didn't hear what Wally said because he didn't have a mic. They interpreted or thought what he did was wrong or bad to me. It wasn't. But what they do? They go out and start telling everybody what they thought they saw. They was here, but they didn't see and they didn't hear what happened. So they went out and said what they thought happened. And now, first thing know, we got a rumor going around the church that one of the men in the church down here reading me the riot act. Isn't that awesome? You know, if you don't... Let me tell you something. Don't repeat anything you hear and only half of what you see and hear together. You'll probably get by a whole lot better. But if you repeat something you hear, chances are it's going to be wrong. Now, the Lord clearly says in His Word under the new covenant in 1 Peter 3, to him that will have a long life. Now, I don't know about you, but I want a long life. Don't you, brother? And see good days. Now, do you want good days or bad sick days? Which one's better? Good days. No pain, right? Long life. Right. He said, well, to do that, you must refrain your tongue from evil. You think the God, God we serve meant that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So then why do so many people tell stories about people in the church? Why don't we go around talking? when we not never put it together that when you... Well, I'm just going to tell my husband. No, 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 no. So you tell your husband and the next morning you got strep throat and you can't talk. Never put the two together. The average Christian never put that together. And then when they got strep throat... If you don't know that, you call your neighbor and say, Hey, let me tell you what Sister Susie did in church yesterday. You sound like, Oh, yeah, I got this trip throat this morning, but I can still talk just a little bit. <laughs> but the next morning you wake up, you can't talk at all. I mean, we don't, we don't understand this, do we? But yet, that's what God says. And so we open the door to the devil. Well, see, you're not doing deeds of loving kindness or deeds of righteousness when you're talking evil about somebody else. You're working, walking in the devil's world. And you've got to stop that. Well, you don't have to stop it. You can have sick days if you want to, or you can be at the hospital if you want to. But I don't know about you, but God says, if you walk in love and do what I say, I will protect you. And again, in that Psalms 91, under the law... He said, if you'll do everything I tell you to do, keep all my commandments and all my statutes, he said, I will protect you from the enemy, and there will be no sickness and no disease in your house. I like that, don't you, brother? No sickness, no disease. I eat nothing I hate worse than going to a hospital or to a doctor. Number one, when you go to a doctor or a hospital, you can be assured that when you walk in the door, they're going to stamp you for several hundred or maybe even a few thousand dollars. Yeah, that's the first thing. So some doctor walks up and says, "Oh, well, I'm, okay, yeah, he needs to go over to that department right there." By the way, my name's John Doe. So when he goes to be sure and put my name on his file, so he gets he charges seven hundred and fifty dollars since they put him over there. Just to say. Yeah, just to say, put him over there with this group right here. Seven hundred and fifty bucks. You, know, you know, it co- It's costly to live in sin. Very costly. But if you'll do what God says, you don't have to be sick. But Cheryl and I was talking coming down here. She said, Honey, you know how hard it is to control what we say? I said, Oh yeah. I've been (laughs) living there for a long time. I know how hard it is to control our tongue. She said it's so easy to say the wrong thing. I said, Oh yes. I know, been there and done that several times. But everybody in here has. So there ain't no problem. You can easily fall in that trap. Don't fall in that trap of the devil. "...because it will make you sick and afflict you." Now, he's doing deeds of loving-kindness because he said, "...the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, or my deeds of loving-kindness." What if you're not doing any deeds of loving-kindness? There are going to be no rewards. But if you're doing deeds of loving-kindness, there's going to be rewards. Now, what if you're doing lots of deeds of loving-kindness? Lots of rewards. I love it. He pays you according to your deeds." Hey, Somebody said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to church once in a while, and I'm going to expect God to bless me. Forget it. It is not going to happen. You are not going to be blessed unless you obey the Word of God. I don't care who you are. Everybody is supposed to get out and work. If you've got two hands, two arms, two legs, you're supposed to get out and work and make your money for yourself and provide for your own family because God says, if you don't work, you shall not eat. Did he not say that? Yeah. You're not to be a sponge off of somebody else. If you're healthy, if you get out there and find you a job, and somebody said, well, I can't find a job. Hey, let me tell you. When I left here in this area years ago to go up north, or a little north, to school, I left with no job. I got into the city, of course, it had been many years ago, but whenever I drove into that city, I had no job, and I pulled into the first service station, and that's back in the days when they used to still put gas in people's cars, not like it is today. So that's when we used to wash windshields, check tires, you know, and all that good stuff. So I pulled into the very first service station. I come, now I'm going to go up there and go to school, and I go pull in, and I said, do you guys know anybody that needs somebody to pump gas? The guy said, well, a guy right down the street. He needed somebody yesterday if he hadn't found somebody. So I said, okay. I drove down there and I pulled out, I said, are you looking for somebody to pump gas? I said, sure am. I said, well, I'm going to school in the morning, 6 till 12. But I said, I could work any time after. He said, great. The shift I need starts at 1. So you can work from 1 till 9. I said, great. Okay. So I'm pumping gas, paying me a little bit of money, but it's buying my groceries and helping pay my rent. And so I am going to school from 6 in the morning. Till 12, and then I'm going to work at 1, and I work till 9, and then I go home and study and take a shower and go to bed and get up and back at school at 6 the next morning. No problem. And then I keep looking for a better job. And then I find a job in a machine shop that's deburring stainless steel valves. I know that don't mean much to you all, but what it means is I have a great big old grinder with a great big old disc on it, and I'm grinding a two-by-two two stainless steel casting lug for them off of a huge stainless steel valve. And that's all I do all day long back there in that room, all by myself, grinding them lugs off. And that stainless steel dust is going everywhere. Now, let me tell you, it paid a little more money in pumping gas. But it, some people said I would not do a dirty job like that. Let me tell you, I ain't proud, folks. I'll do whatever is necessary to provide for me and my wife, you know. And I, I ground them valves off, and I did it, and I praise God. I'd be back there singing, praising the Lord. Lord, thank you that these lugs had to be put on here so I can grind them off, you know, because I needed a job. Amen. Instead of grumbling and complaining, I'm saying, Lord, thank you. And then one day a guy come out there and he said, Scribner, do you know anything about a turret lathe? I said, I can learn. He said, come up here. The guy's supposed to set up these turret lays today. didn't show up. He said, come up here, and I need to show you then how to set up a turret lay so you can do it. I got three or four to be set up, and I ain't got time to do them all, but if I can show you how to do one, you can do the rest of them. I said, no problem. He took me up here and showed me how to set up that turret lace with all the different jobs to be done on it. I said, no problem. I got it. I started setting up turret lays. They found out how quick and easy I could do that. Then one day he said, you know, i got a guy didn't show up to run one of these. You can set him up. You can run one too, can't you? I said, sure. I can do the job. We, you know, about a six different job to make a particular little casting. I said, no problem. I can make them. And I started making them. He said, man, ain't nobody in this place makes as many of them in a day as you do. I said, I praise God. I'm glad to have this job. You know, other people out here fussing and complaining. He said, well, hey, I'm going to give you an increase in pay. Amen. Hey, that was the name of the job, name of the game. An and then first thing I know, he said, You do such a good job here. I'm going to set you putting up all. First thing I know, I'm setting up every piece of equipment in that building. And I got a great job, and I learned how to run every kind of lathe and every kind of machine, and I have used that knowledge to do awesome things for myself ever since. It wasn't a thing in that plant I couldn't run. Started out on the, on the deburring bench, grinding valves. Hey, am I grumbling about that? No, I'm praising God. He said, Oh, I'm going to give you a little reward. I'm going to let you advance into another position, and another one, and another one. And then one day, I'm up there setting up these machines, my nice clean clothes on, not dirty anymore. You know, I'm running these machines, and some guy comes in, and he's grinding lugs. He said, I wish I could be lucky like you and wear clean clothes like you. I'm back there in the deburring bench where it's the dirtiest job in the house. All he was doing grumbling. I said, keep grumbling, and you'll be there forever. I've been there and done that. I don't feel sorry for him. I've been there and done it. Do we know, what did Joseph do? Did he grumble and complain when the Lord, when when he was put in prison? No. Where did Joseph come from? The pit to where? To the palace. He came to the throne of Egypt. He became second highest man right under the Pharaoh in all Egypt. And he was a foreigner. You know, so... All you've got to do is praise and worship God, and he will graduate you up into new places. Now, he is doing this to David. He says, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Now, you want to know why you ain't never got ahead in life? Obviously, you're not doing very many deeds of loving kindness. I hear people all the time, you know, that's out of jobs, don't have nothing, but they're not willing to work at a menial job. I mean, I think about guys. I knew some guys one time when I was up in New York that this guy said, you know, I have a starvation rate of pay. They have reduced my pay to the point where I just can't make it no more. I begin to feel sorry for him. I said, my goodness, what have they lowered your salary to? He said, a meager 120000 a year. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't you feel sorry for him, Sharon? No, I didn't feel sorry for him either. A meager hundred and twenty thousand a year? But you know, if a man's been making two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand and now you get cut back to one hundred and twenty, this is peanuts. You can't live on it. But if you've been making twenty thousand a year and you get it advanced to thirty thousand, you think you died and gone to heaven. Yeah, it all is relative. Let me tell you. But I felt so sorry for that guy who lowered his salary to 120000 He just couldn't make it. He was grumbling and complaining about it. You know why he'd come from where he was? Because of his grumbling and complaining. He wasn't out there doing deeds of loving kindness. If he'd been out there doing deeds of loving kindness, the Lord would have rewarded him. You've got to get a hold of the fact. Who is your rewarder? Who's controlling everything? God. That's exactly right. And... He still was doing it years and years and eons ago right here when he says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness or my deeds of loving kindness. According to the cleanness of my hands has he recompensed me. Ooh, he had clean hands too. You think that meant he washed them often? No, that's not what he meant, was it? He meant he walked clean before the Lord. No sin. Is that what he meant? Absolutely what he meant. Verse 22 confirms it. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. All you need to do is wickedly depart from the Lord and start living in some kind of sin. Well, the Lord's been a long time in His coming. You know, I mean, you know, my friends, they like to go down to the bars and hang out and drink. And, you know, they like to go to the nudity clubs and all this stuff. You know, surely... I'm just a single guy God wouldn't mind if I do that just once in a while. Oh, yes, he will. You're falling back into the world. And when you fall back into the world, God don't like you falling back into the world. He knows at what attitude you go down there. You go down there and look at them naked girls. Ooh, and the lust. Do you see any sin in any of that? That's all it is. It's sin. And then you want to know why your world falls apart. Want to know why you can't get a job, why you're sick and afflicted and everything else. Just start living wickedly and see what happens to you. And yesterday, as I was teaching that group of people, there was a man come and asked me to pray for his daddy. I said, your daddy a Christian? He said, well, yes. I says, what's your daddy got? He said, cancer. I said, your daddy got any unforgiveness toward anybody? He said, oh, yeah, lots of people see anything wrong with that brother I told him I said you know they ain't going to do no good to pray for your daddy first thing your daddy's got to repent from those sins because he's opened the door to a demon and those demons of cancer have come to him now until he repents and gets right with those people your daddy's going to die that's all there is to it you know God doesn't play games he is in control we don't think he is sometimes but let me tell you he is And he says here, for all of his judgments, for all of his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. Did David walk holy before God? Yes, he did. Then he says, I was also upright before him, and I have kept myself from mine iniquity. He's careful about what he's doing. Therefore, because he's done these things, therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my deeds of loving kindness, or my righteousness, according to my cleanliness in his eyesight. Now then, you may think, hey, you're a good Christian. You may think that some people you know may be the best Christian. You might think, wow, Susie or Jane or Bob or Thurman or Dan or whatever. Man, that's the greatest Christian I've ever seen. Well, that's in your eyes. That may not be in God's eye. See, God knows what you and me do when we leave here, doesn't he? He knows what's inside. And that's what's scary, isn't it? Woo God. Makes me tremble to think that he knows what's inside. So I want to walk in love. Because when you walk in love and do what God says, he said, I will satisfy you with long life. Love the bride. and He said, You won't have no sickness and no disease. Now, then he says, To have no sickness no disease, you got to not talk evil about people. You got to watch your tongue. So many people do not understand why they're in a the hospital. And when you try to tell them you're in there because of sin, I mean, lots of people don't like to hear that. No. That's just like I was t- talking to a big pastor of a big church just recently and his son was sick and I told him I said sir you're I told the young man I said you're sick and afflicted because of sin and you've got I said you know what that sin is but you've got to repent of that sin and change or you're never going to get well and he said I have heard all of this I'm going to listen to and he hung up the phone and walked off and then his daddy, over the phone, said, Thurman, the gospel that you're preaching is condemning. I said, let me tell you, the Word of God answers that itself. In 1 John he says, if our hearts condemn us not, then we know we have the petitions we ask of God. I said, if the gospel I'm preaching to your son is condemning, then your son is living in sin.
1: Amen.
0: You know, somebody says, you know, we're supposed to tithe. I said, praise God, brother, preach on. Right, yeah. Somebody said, I don't like it when you preach a message on tithing. I said, you don't tithe then, do you? <laughs> what if the Word of God condemns you and you don't like to hear it, you know you're not doing what He said. You know, but of course, you know, God says, did you know under tithing is the only place in God's Word where He says, I will curse you with a curse. If you don't tithe... I will curse you with a curse. He said, I hate a thief, and when you steal from me, I really hate it. So people, all kinds of people in the church try to be blessed. And you ask them, Are you tithing? Well, yeah, I give here, I give there. How much money do you make? Five hundred dollars? Yeah. How much did you give? Thirty. Oh. I don't know about your math, but mine and yours don't compute. Thirty is not ten percent of five hundred. Now, maybe $55 would be a little better, you know. Maybe 100 Yeah, that's right. all depends what you want. The Lord says, I will bless you according to your gift. Why do we give everything away free? Because we want to be blessed. Amen. Hey, Lord, if this is your business and you're in this and what I'm teaching is the truth, then you're going to pay my bills. And he has never failed to pay our bills. Never. I don't care who's ever worked for me. They never had to wait for their money. You know, never. You know, we've always had it. Unless I forgot to bring it or something. You know, but I had it. I had it in an envelope, you know, somewhere, and I give it to them. But sometimes I forget to bring it to them, but I give it to them the next day. I don't have to wait very long. And if they need money, I got some. You know, I try to help them if they need help. Praise God. But he says there, Verse 26, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright, upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. Now, do you want to be merciful? Yeah, because I want to be shown mercy, don't you? I'm going to be merciful to people. And then he says, with the pure, you will show thyself pure. And with the forward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. Ooh i don 't want to be one of those guys, so it's and the afflicted people that will save, but your eyes are upon the haughty that you mayest bring them down, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness, for by thee I have run through. A troop, by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The the word of the Lord is tried, for he is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God? Save the Lord. And who is a rock? Save our God. God is my strength, and he's my power. And he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds' feet, and he setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness has made me great. Who has made him great? God. Here we go out and try to become great and we do it our way and you don't never wind up with nothing. You go out and do God's work and do what he says and one day when you get home he brings you up and he says puts his arm around and says come on in and let me show you what I've been building for you while you was working for me down there on earth. And he brings you into a palace a dwelling place of which you have never dreamed of. But yet you're some big fancy preacher, you know, that thinks you're somebody because you've got four PhDs and you ain't going to talk to nobody, especially a little guy like me. You know, you can't get through to you. And if I do talk to you, I have to have $500 up front before you come into my office. I had a lady come to me the other day and said, I need you to minister to me. I said, well, ma'am, where do you go to church? She told me. I said, well, why don't you go there? She said, they, t- they require a $300 gift before they will minister to you. I said, I believe I'd change churches. And let me tell you, I ain't about to call the name because it's a humongous church in this metroplex. Humongous. Thousands of people go there. But she said, if you won't. And she said, the head pastor there, you can't make an appointment with him. He won't talk to you. I thought, wow. Lord, help me to never get where I can't talk to anybody. Help me when I look at a man or a woman, I realize that at the foot of the cross, that ground is level. Lord, I don't care what color, creed, nationality, or nothing. We're human beings. We're children of yours. And Lord, don't never let me get to a point where I don't care who walks into my office. I don't care if it's one of the biggest pastors in the world or if it's a little bitty, insignificant, poor little person. Let me treat them exactly the same. Because I realize without you, I'm nothing. Nothing. You know, you have put me where you put me to minister to people and to get your people saved, healed, and delivered. But Lord, that doesn't make me better than nobody else. You don't love me a bit better than you love anybody else in this place. Help me always to remember that, Lord. And if you do, He will exalt you. I think about my son. He loved Tom Landry back in the days when Tom was a head coach. And he, of course, Tom was a great Christian man. As most of you know, he loved God with all his heart. And then, I mean, the day came when he got kicked out. My son got angry. He said, Dad, I can't believe he just walked off after everything he's done. I said, Son, that man humbled himself. And I said, God will exalt him. You watch. If he just went out with a big stir... I said, and made a scene, but I said, he just walked off. I said, you watch what God does. A few weeks or months, whatever it was later, Tim come to me and said, Dad, I was watching TV today, and Tom Landry's riding in a convertible downtown Dallas with thousands of people on national TV. I said, did I tell you God would exalt him, son? He said, boy, is he being exalted today. He said, wow, what a privilege to see one of the greatest men of God ride down there, and everybody in the world's giving him glory for what he'd done for the cowboys. I said, see, you do it God's way. You don't rise up, come against nobody. Just say, okay, if you all don't want me, praise God. Walk off. God will exalt you. And he did. So he did the same thing for David. So whatever you do, everything God did for David in this chapter 22, we're going to stop right here on this because we're going to take communion today. Right there, everything God did for David was because of what David did for God. You notice that? Because David had been a righteous, holy man, kept himself clean and walked in God's delight. God blessed him, protected him from all the enemies, and done great and mighty things through David. Now, do you want to be blessed? Do you think God's changed since then? Not a bit. So, if he hadn't changed since then, if we walk holy, we keep his law... We do deeds of loving kindness. We meet people's needs, Susan. If we go through our life doing all those wonderful things for people. I think about Pat the other day when she prayed for that little lady up there. She didn't even know who that little lady was that needed to be prayed for. Had had surgery or something. And Pat said, well, Jesus, I serve. He'll heal you. And she prayed the prayer of faith for that lady and her pain went away. Of course, she does that for people all the time. Her and Wally both. They're out there. They're about the king's business. They're praying for people. I mean, Wally was telling me the other night over when he prayed for somebody, what a miraculous, wonderful thing God did for these people. But, I mean, they're about doing deeds of loving kindness for everyone that they come in contact with. Is God going to reward them? Yes, He will. In due time, He will raise him up. He's awesome, isn't He? Yes, He is. So, this week, whatever you do, don't talk evil about nobody. You know... Especially your brothers in Christ. Have you heard something about somebody you thought, oh, good. Oh, my goodness, Sister Jean, something something bad this week. No, don't you dare repeat that. Don't you dare repeat that. You know, you walk holy before God. You keep your tongue in your mouth. And if i got something good to say about Sister Jean, you know what? You know what I should say? Woo, what a woman of God. That woman is about the king's business. Now, that's okay to say that, isn't it, Jean? See? Now, that's what we should be saying about each other because the Lord says, whatever you do, let every word comes out of your mouth. Edify your brother. If you ain't got something good to say, keep your mouth shut. Keep your tongue in your cheek. Now then, we're going to pass out the elements. Let's do that. Y'all get uh, those of you that have been uh, uh, set aside to do that. Y'all pass out the, the, everything. Not today. We're going to tell it next time. We're not going to do any more testimony today. Okay, yeah, well, let's pass out the communion. And we're going to take communion today. Praise the Lord. I want you to examine your lives as we pass this out. I want you to make sure that you have checked out your life to make sure that you're judging yourself that you have no unconfessed sin, that you've not been talking evil about someone, even your mate. Somebody said, well, I talk about my brother. Somebody said, I talk about my wife or my husband. No, 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 no. Don't talk about nobody. Remember, the Lord is listening. And if you have done that, confess it. Repent of it. So you don't have to be sick and afflicted. I don't care what you hear about someone, don't repeat it, because it may not be true. This is one of the most holy things that we do when we take the Lord's body. And, of course, this piece of bread is unleavened bread. You'll notice the little holes in it. It's pierced, and it has brown stripes on it. For the stripes on his body. And of course there's no leaven in it. Because it's clean and pure. Just like Jesus' body was. Our Savior had no sin in his body. Now I know that there is people that take communion with leavened bread. But I would never. Myself. Never take communion with leavened bread. Because in leavened bread there's sin in that bread. I don't believe in taking communion with leavened bread. The king, when he done the Last Supper, he did it with this same kind of bread. Unleavened bread. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, for sure. So as we pass this out, I want you to be thinking do I have any kind of sin in my life? Anything I've not repented of? Have I missed a mark anywhere, Lord? Have I said anything bad about anybody? Have I told any lies? Have I stole anything? Have I done anything that's wrong? Have I not walked in accordance with your word? Have I not loved you this week with all my heart? Have I put my spouse in front of you or my children this week? Have I not put you first? Because if you have, that's a sin. The Lord says you are to put him first. Nothing is to be before him. He is to be number one in your life. If you haven't put him, number one, this week, repent and tell him you're sorry, and you'll try your best to put him first in the days ahead. Is everybody, we still like a little? We've got a couple. Everybody? Everybody been served? Okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord. We repent for even sins we don't even know we've committed. Because, Lord, we know that Romans 14:23 says anything we do that's not of faith is sin. Lord, I can only imagine how many ways I probably miss it in the course of a week. And I don't even realize I've done it. But, Lord, you know. And so I repent of all those things. And, Lord, I want to walk holy. I want to walk in a love relationship with you. And I want to be about righteousness, doing deeds of loving kindness for people. So, Father, thank you for forgiving me for all my sins. Thank you, Lord, for filling me with your spirit and helping me to walk in divine love. Now, Father, as I take this bread, I take it as a symbol of your broken body that you bore our sin, you bore our pain, you bore our sickness and removed our disease through your body. So, Lord, as I take that, I take that in faith that I'm... Not only saved, but I'm healed, I'm delivered, and I'm made whole. And as long as I'll be about your words and walk holy before you, I don't have to be sick. And Lord, I claim that by faith and ask you to help me to do that every day. So nothing I do will give place to my enemy and your enemy, the devil. Thank you, Father, for this bread. And bless it to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. that I hold in my hand the most powerful thing, the blood of Jesus. That his blood was poured out for our sins, that we should die to sin and live unto righteousness. And as we drink this juice, which is a symbol of his blood, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if we'll hide his word in our heart, we can walk holy and without sin. And when we walk without sin, he clearly promised us in 1 Peter 2, that we should die to sin and live unto righteousness. And if we do die to sin and live unto righteousness or do deeds of loving kindness, then by his stripes we were healed. So this pays the price for our sins. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.